16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Very interesting passage of Scripture, and uh, I've been anxious all week to share this with you. It's a difficult uh, parable that Jesus used. Uh, kind of throws you when you first read it as to its meaning, but let's look at it together. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. Well, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? And he said, a thousand bushel of wheat. And he replied, well, take your bill and make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For he said, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give to you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and sneered at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. I had used this passage of Scripture for my devotions nearly two weeks ago. And I stopped reading at verse 13. And I kept looking for the meaning. I, most of you know by now I take time early in the morning and I read a passage of Scripture. Generally it's a short passage of Scripture and then I journal. I write down what the Lord tells me out of that passage of Scripture. When I hit this one, I was baffled. Those 13 verses were not coming together. There was not an understanding. And so I did something I've never done in my devotions. I stopped. I stopped on this passage of Scripture and was determined I'm not going to leave this passage of Scripture until I see something in it. That happened for a week. Every time I'd come to the church, there were times that I almost felt like I had the passage memorized. I wouldn't read it. I just kept thinking on it. I would think of it not only in the morning, I'd think of it through the day and in the evening, and no meaning would come for this passage of Scripture until this last Tuesday. And on the way to church, before I ever got to the altar of the church, the Lord said, you can go on now. Forget about that passage of Scripture. You can go on now. 
So I started reading not at verse 1, but at verse 14, because I hadn't read that before. When I got to 15, I said, that's it. That's where the meaning of this passage of Scripture is found. Jesus said, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. And I said, what's detestable in God's sight? But then the answer, money. I'll explain that. It all made sense to me at the moment, and I'll give you what the Lord gave me this last Tuesday morning. Money is detestable in God's sight, and the Pharisees loved money. The parable expands, you see, from the previous parable. We've looked at the prodigal son. And what the Pharisees' reaction to the prodigal son story was simply this, well, I've not squandered my goods like this poor guy that went out into this far country and wasted everything he had, so I'm still righteous. And Jesus countered that by putting not only an elder brother in that particular parable, but by following that one with this one to say there's more than one way to squander what has been entrusted to you. A steward is one who manages property for another. And the steward in this story had managed his own owner's property and was about to lose it all. The owner was about to take everything back that he had entrusted to this steward. Before we proceed any further with the story, let me just say this, that the owner in this story definitely represents God. He has given us everything that we have to manage. And we are to invest what He has given us in others. Everything He has given us, our time, our talent, our opportunities, our influence, our treasure, everything is to be invested in the lives of others. Because one day, just as the owner of the story, one day God's going to come to each of us and say, now what have you done with what I've given you? Before that day arrived for this steward, however, the shrewd steward used the money to help the situation of others. Since his whole future was on the line and everything that was before him, he was now contemplating, everything that he had been entrusted with, he was about to lose. He had each one of those who had borrowed money from the owner come to him or he went to them and he gave them, he said, how much do you owe? They said, oh, he essentially cut almost everybody's bill in half. And when he cut the bill in half, it did two things. It helped the people who were debtors and it also helped him because now he had a few more friends than he had before. Now the thing that's surprising about the story is the reaction of the owner. The owner commended the shrewd steward and said, people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own than the people of light. In other words, sometimes the people of the world reach the conclusion quicker than the saints that money is not the answer to everything. One conclusion that the shrewd steward reached rather quickly was, if everything is stripped away from me, I'd better have some friends. And he took some action to do that. The owner said, use worldly wealth to gain friends so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the purpose of what God has given to us. We are to invest it in the lives of other people. It is intriguing that the Lord did not use a perfect example in His parables to always reach the point that He wanted to drive home. But that was often His pattern. Remember the old unjust judge who was locked up in his chambers or in his house and wouldn't answer the pounding on the door when somebody had need? 
And finally, by the persistence of this person who had need, the judge says, all right, I'll get up and get you what you want. That judge isn't perfect. That judge represents God. But why didn't Jesus use a perfect judge doing perfect because he was making a comparison? He was saying, hey, if an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge will get out of bed and do that, how much more will your heavenly Father do what needs to be done in your life? Jesus had a lot of parables that used worldly examples to say in comparison, how much more will your heavenly Father do for you? How about the question? The question, if your son wants bread or fish, will you give him a serpent? If your son wants bread, will you give him a stone? And he said, not from the perspective of these people were perfect. He said, if you being evil know how to do good, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? Oftentimes, Jesus used a question or a parable, not from perfection, but with comparison of the world. And this parable is the same. The Lord is not telling us in this story, to be dishonest in what we do. He's saying, if an unrighteous steward put in a situation where he has to make some decisions, begins to think about the future and wonder what's coming, you should do the same thing. The unjust steward realized that the day of reckoning was coming and he was going to give an account of all that had been entrusted to him. And for the first time in his life, he began to wonder what the future was going to be like. He would not have any place to live. He was not going to have a job. He was not going to have anything. But I know that he said what I can do, I can currently take what has been entrusted to me and I can make provision for my future. And that's what he did. The plan he used helped himself and also helped the debtors. And when the owner found out, he said, Pretty shrewd plan, Stuart. Pretty shrewd. You took what you had and you used it to your greatest advantage. Pretty shrewd. At this point, we want to be protective of the owner and his stuff. I do. I want to look at that and say, but what about the owner's goods? I mean, this this steward squandered his owner's goods and the owner doesn't seem to get upset. It's almost like the owner thinks that there's an unlimited supply to his resources and that this little loss is of little consequence to him. And since the owner represents God, I'm just wondering how much of that might be true. We are much more concerned about the earthly value of the goods than God God is. He's much more concerned about the stewardship than the value. Plus, I don't think the Lord is saying here that we need to take the same kind of, of actions that the, that the steward did in meeting his needs selfishly. That would be contrary to everything the Lord ever taught about being dishonest. The point of the story asks the question, what are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Because there is a day of accountability coming. Nor is Jesus suggesting that we can buy our way into heaven. He's not saying that if you give enough that that, uh, somehow God's going to bless you simply because of the amount of your gift. No, Jesus is... That's contrary to everything we find in Scripture too. You can't buy spiritual things with worldly money. It's impossible. Simon the sorcerer told us that. 
He encountered the power of God in the book of Acts chapter 8. He saw all that was happening by the apostles and he said, tell me how much that will cost. I want, I want that power. And Simon Peter looked at him and he said, you will perish with your money. Because you see, the disciples had processed the meaning of this parable. They knew what Jesus was teaching and they knew the purpose of money. Money was to be used as an investment because God owns it all. It's not ours anyway. And whatever He tells us to do with it, that's what we're supposed to do. And Simon Peter and the rest of the apostles were saying to Simon, if you think you can buy this kind of stuff, you don't even understand what money's about. Money doesn't buy anything. God owns it all. And He entrusts it to you. If you want to know what you do with your money, Simon the sorcerer, you ask God what to do with it. And if you obey God when you do with everything He has entrusted to you, then you will find that you can have some spiritual power. But you don't get it that way. You don't get it by giving money. But if you obey Him with what He has entrusted to you, that is the source of spiritual power. Earthly wealth is the means of spiritual blessing. Jesus said it in this parable. No, it's no clearer in Scripture. For He said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And if you've not been trustworthy in handling the little things, then who's going to give to you the big things? The true riches, he said. Well, who has the true riches? God. When is he going to give them to us? If we're faithful in the little things. What's the little things? What's the little things to God? the value, the, the money that He's entrusted to us. If we're faithful there, He will entrust to us true riches. Our faithfulness in worldly wealth determines the measure of the spiritual blessing that will happen in our lives. On other occasions, Jesus said, Given it shall be given unto you the same measure that you measure. It shall be measured unto you. True riches are eternal. They are our inheritance in heaven and they are our blessings here on earth. But before our gift is going to be pressed down, shaken together and running over, we have to determine the same kind of measure with our stewardship, with what he's given to us. Jesus said, if you have not been trustworthy in someone else's property, who will give to you property of your own? God has given to us everything we have. And so the question is, and the issue is, how are we using what He has given to us? How much we have is never the issue. The issue is stewardship, what we're doing with what He has given to us. The widow and the mite tells us that story. When the widow put in her little bitty offering, and each one was putting in their contribution into the plate, she gave the smallest amount, but Jesus said, no, her offering was the biggest. Why? Because she had listened. She, she was investing what God had given. She invested everything that God gave her back into the lives of other people. So today, Jesus is saying the same thing. What are you doing with what I've given to you? And then he says at the end of this little parable, for no one can serve two masters. It's interesting that no matter which direction we go, that we're the servant, not the master. We are always the servant. And when we, even when we think we're the servant we're, or the master, we're still the slave. If you think that we are our own master and we're doing what we want with our possessions, Jesus said your real master is not you. Your real master, you're serving money. And he said you cannot serve two masters. I, 
I don't know how you react to this one, but when I look at this passage of Scripture, I almost want to argue with the Lord and say, now wait a minute, what do you mean you cannot serve two masters? When I was growing up, I had two masters. One was called mother and one was called father. And I think I served both of them. Until it dawned on me, you cannot serve two masters who are pulling in opposite directions. If you've got two people like your mother and your father pulling in the same direction, you can follow both of them. But if one's pulling one way and one's pulling the other way, it's pretty difficult to walk two directions at the same time. And that's what Jesus was saying here. The difference between serving God and serving money is two different directions in life. They really... We really find that there's a conflict. When someone goes with God, things are all based on the eternal judgments. God deals with us in terms of those things that are like Him. If we're serving money, it's tied into this world. And it's a completely opposite direction. It's, it's involved in accumulating things and, and, and having stuff around us. It's in, the whole value system is temporal. It's what's going to be done here within this lifetime with God. It's what's going to be done in the future. It's the investment in the eternal things. You can only serve one master. The question is stewardship. What does God want you to do with what He has given to you? Have you asked Him? It all really belongs to Him, you know. He's the owner. What does He want you to do with it? The amount that you have is really not the consequence. It is His business how much He has given you. And you are the steward. And if you've been faithful in little things, then He will entrust the eternal riches to you. We almost get lost in the parable because too much emphasis is placed on on the value of the money. And Jesus says in verse 15, no, that which is highly valued with men is detestable in God's sight. I thought about that. You know, money is detestable with God unless it is used to invest in the lives of other people. But that's true of everything. It's true of everything that He's given you. I don't care if you've got the ability to play professional football. That's detestable in God's sight unless you're using somehow that talent and investing it in the lives of others. Nothing is valuable unless it's invested and we realize that He's the owner, He's entrusted to us, and then He says, what are you going to do with it? This parable states this truth as clearly as it's ever stated in the New Testament and states it as clearly as Jesus ever said it. And it's true. Not just about finances. It's true about every area of life. Everything God has given to you is a gift. Sometimes we look at the things that God's given us and we're not very appreciative. We think He made some mistakes or it's not big enough or it's not worthy enough or we don't like what we see. But it's a gift. And one day God will say, what have you done with what I've given to you? One day there will be people in this world that will be at the same situation where this steward was. They will be just like a tree getting ready to go through the paper mill. One of these days the bark will all be stripped off and there will be nothing left, absolutely nothing left, except what had been invested 
in eternal things. Not too long ago, Karen and I had lunch, or I should say a luncheon, with a multimillionaire. Been very recent. We know other members of the family. They're, the people that we met with are very gracious people. I hate to think of the money that was represented around that table. The gold, the diamonds, all that was represented in business and wealth and homes and cars. The other members of the family that we know, some of them have nothing. <laughs> I mean, they don't have anything. But they're the most kind and compassion, compassionate and generous people that we have ever met. As we left that luncheon that day, I could not help but think, one of these days, everything's going to be gone for this couple. I mean, they won't have a business, they won't have a home, they won't have a car, they won't have jewelry, they won't have anything. It'll all be gone, it'll be stripped away. And then, in heaven, could the whole thing be reversed? Could it be that those who have had nothing here will be rich up there and those that have been rich here will have... Now, the people that we're meeting with are, are good investors in the kingdom. So I'm not, I'm not judging them and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have wealth because they're very generous with world mission and evangelism and education and all of it. But you see, the question is not how much do we have. The question is, what are we doing with what we have? That's always the question with God. The amount is the testimony. It's only been given to us to share. You see, the missionary was right. The missionary we had speak to us last Sunday said, we are a channel. God is the resource. He's the owner of everything He's supplying to us and He wants to channel it right on to other people. And we've misunderstood that somehow. We want to put up a dam in the river and say, no, let, let, let's build a little lake. And then when we look at the lake, we say, hey, that's not bad. Let's put a cottage around it. And hey, wouldn't it be nice to have a speedboat going around the, the lake and, we, and pretty soon we've got a lot of stuff. When God never designed it that way to begin with. He said, I have entrusted to you all these things. I'm the owner. And, and the purpose of this is to share what I've given you with those who are in need. Find any place that Jesus opened His mouth that was contrary to that. What are we doing with what God has given to us? Have you asked Him how He wants you to invest those things that He's given you? If we're not careful, we'll be like the man building bigger barns. We misunderstand the blessing of God and we say, oh, I don't know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build a bigger barn. And the Lord said, no, one of these days, and it could be sooner than you think, you'll be held accountable. And then whose will this be? I'll tell you why this sermon was so important to me this week. I'll tell you why the timing was so critical for me this week. It involves the final payment to our contractor on our new building. 
we talked to the board two weeks ago about the remaining amount of $51,500. that we had used all the funds from the bank regarding that were previously arranged for the construction loan. And therefore, this final payment was ours and we either needed to make this payment in cash or arrange with the bank for further financing. We really didn't have a lot of options. And after reviewing our situation, we adjourned and said, let's meet two or three days from now after we've had a time to think about it. And after thought and prayer, this discussion emerged from the board. They felt responsible for the position which we're in, for the current situation, and reflected upon several things. Our additional building expenses regarding earthwork. Remember we had to have all the earth taken and put back in and a French drain put around and a bunch of stuff right up front that we had to have done. This, the additional building expenses and some of the things that have brought us to the current situation. And it was suggested by a board member that in lieu of this $51,000 bill, that each board member, each board family contribute $2,000 towards that need and then go back to the congregation for the additional amount. And without voting, again we adjourned to give each board member time to think and to pray about this suggestion. Some began immediately to make arrangements to give the $2,000. There were people who made arrangements to take money out of retirement, and they did. There was discussion to say, well, the only place I can come up with this kind of money is to forfeit the vacation for the family this year and some other things along with it. And they did. They were bringing themselves to the place of being willing to sacrifice to meet this last payment need with our contractor. And when we reconvened three days later for the final discussion, some commented that as much as they wanted to be a part of such figure, there was no way they ever they could see to do that as much as they wanted to. I had one board member say, Pastor, I wish I had the 50000 I'd give it all. Well, we all would. One commented that he was he couldn't arrange for the $2,000, but he was willing to increase his monthly commitment to help make up the difference. Now, at this point, I'm not trying to make heroes out of the church board, understand? Because some of them had the same kinds of fears and apprehensions that you would have if you were in their place, in that situation, and saying, okay, here's our final need, how are we going to meet it? And since our premise of going into the whole building commitment and stewardship enrichment was not equal gifts but equal sacrifice, we took that approach. We passed around little slips of paper and we said to each board member, if $2,000 is the guide, what can you give towards this need? We totaled them, added them all up, and the figure came in from our board, which represents 17 families. $27,000 $27,000 towards the need of fifty-one five. Not all the board members were able to come up with the $2,000. Maybe some did more. I don't, the, I don't know what the figures represented. I didn't put names on the cards. But then at that same meeting, they said, Pastor, now we want you to go back to the congregation and let them know where we are and what we're doing. Also, a part of the agreement of the board is that they would have their money in the offering within the next two weeks. And so we are prepared 
either this Sunday or the next Sunday to have about a $20,000 day in our giving because of the willingness to sacrifice on the part of the board. But that's why this seemed to impress me this week. And out of this, God was saying, Jerry, I own it all. Everything that everybody that will be before you Sunday, I own it all. They're merely stewards. And the answer to our situation is all of us just doing what God wants us to do as He has blessed us. To be quite frank, the board is embarrassed that we have to come back to you, the congregation. Don't misunderstand me. It's not something that they have been hiding for ten months, sitting on in just the spring here at the last. That's not been the plan at all. But in the course of construction, a couple of things have happened. I've talked about the subgrade and the French drain, and the other thing that we did is we put steel in that south wall at the gym. Some of you don't know that, but that whole wall comes out so we can expand another thousand feet. Built into that building is 7,000 square feet for the future. There were furnishings for the building and the appliances for the kitchen, the opening up of this new entrance here into the foyer, into the new building, and just those five items right there amount to over $40,000. But without getting into detail, I'm not going to labor you with the detail. Let me just say this. I have read and reread and read again all the board minutes from the last year and a half and all the monthly reports of the treasurer and all, and all that I could get my hands on to read. And I wanted to be able to say to you this morning, what were two or three of the major items that if we had have left them out of the building, we wouldn't be in the situation we are today? Two important items that I see are this. There was one critical board meeting nearly a year ago when the board was talking. That seemed like the center of the discussion was that second story shell that amounted to about $41,000. They said, we can do it. We're going to do it. Because that opens it up for the future. They talked about if we come back later, all the expense of tearing off an old roof and putting on a new roof, I think we need to go for it. And then the steel and the south wall. Yes, they could have saved us money. That could have saved us a lot of money. But then what would we have done somewhere down the road when we need that space and have to open up that wall for additional seating and classrooms? Those two items, if, if we'd have left both of those items out, the need today would be less than $5,000. But I want to comment on that. Every church in which I've ever served that's put up, gone through a building program or put up any building, I've heard them say not too many years after the construction of that building, if we would have only built more, we just topped short. We didn't put up enough. Well, your board has been willing to take that extra step. And yes, it's stretched. It's stretching them. It's no easier for the church board members to come up with $2,000 than it is you or me. It's going to stretch us all. Our, our construction note at the bank is exactly what you voted on as a congregation for indebtedness on our building. And in a few days, we want to change that construction note into a permanent note. That's been our plan. And we do not want to borrow any additional funds. In other words, we want to make this last payment to our contractor out of our own pockets. 
and save us that additional financing. Some of you might say, like the board member said, Pastor, there's no way. I mean, uh, there's just no way. You mentioned a figure and I can't get close to that. As one board member said, whether it's $5, $500, or $5,000, the most important thing is that we all participate together. And I believe we can all do something. <laughs> we can all be a part of the greatest offering that's ever been in the history of this church. And the need is certainly there. That all, for those of you that are already a part of the building commitments, I just wanted to say to you this morning, thank you. Thank you for all that you've contributed. And for those of you that are not, I want to say we need your help. If you've waited for a good time to get on board, this is it. This is your church. And today your church needs you to make the greatest cash gift that you've ever given. Our need is really twofold. We need cash to make this construction payment and we need additional monthly commitments to meet the payment schedule of our permanent loan. You see, that's the other thing that the board was wrestling with. Because in the initial plans, and a year ago when we were talking and looking at budget and that money which was coming in, what's happened over the course of the year is the commitments have not increased. In fact, they've lessened. And for some of you that have started and somehow fallen off of your commitments, now is a great time to catch back up and to honor those commitments. Or as one board member said, Pastor, I'm going to be a part of the cash offering and I'm also going to increase my monthly commitment that I originally made. We're at that place where we just need to pull together as a church and do what we need to do to meet this last payment. I don't know about you, but I don't like to give the buildings. So I'm not going to. I'm not giving to a building. I'm giving to things like happened last Saturday night when Larry Edwards came and knelt at an altar here. And because men of the church gathered around him, Larry was willing to take some necessary steps to change the rest of the course of his life. And I'm willing to give because he needs the kind of prayer support that we can offer for him to make it and the kind of personal support that's necessary. I'm, I'm willing to give not to a building, but because my kids are part of the youth program. Because it's a growing venture here in this church. And that I visited with some teenagers this week. Some have gone through things make your hair stand on end. But we're able to pray and cry together and trust God together and say there's an answer together for whatever has happened to you. And for a teenager that met with me Wednesday night and said, Pastor, I want you here. I want Roger here. I want my best friend in the whole world here because there's something important that I want to tell you just began to weep and cry and said, last Monday, I turned my whole life over to God. And whether He wants me to preach or whatever He wants me to do, I just want to tell you, Pastor, it's okay. And you know the struggle that I've had. I've been up and down and up and down. But I just want to tell you, something happened last Monday in my life. I'm giving because some of you are going through a healing process. And this church is all a part of the process. If it weren't for the fellowship of this church, you wouldn't be where you are today. The testimony as many of you is, 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 is that we've stood together and other people have supported me. That's what I'm giving to. Not to a bricks and mortar. I don't get excited about bricks and mortar. 
What has God given to us as a church? He's given us a heart of compassion and love. And I think the testimony of most of us is that I've never been to a place where I felt such support, surrounded by such love and prayer. We're, God has given that to us. One day, day He's going to ask us, are we, give an account. What have you done with all of that? And we are reaching out. We're taking further steps to even make it better so that nobody falls through the crack. It's a little program called Reap and Keep. But that's a part of our future. That's so that every family, every week, gets a phone call from someone that's saying, I'm praying for you. I care what's going on in your life. And I want to take some few, a few moments right now over the telephone and pray with you if it's okay. And if it's not okay, then I just want to tell you, I am praying for you. Every day. We're going to structure that so nobody gets lost in the process. Because why? God has given us, that's what He's entrusted to us as a body. One final testimony, and that's mine. Some of you remember two and a half years ago my original sacrifice for stewardship campaign. I just bought a little red car. God had challenged me. I bought the car before we made our commitment. When I prayed about the commitment, God said, $10,000 over three years. I said, no way. I mean, where'd that thought come from? I don't have $10,000. God said, you've got a car. You just bought it. Payments of $200 a week. What do you think that adds up to over three years? Well, I figured it out. $7,200. $200 a month, not a week. Some of you are quicker at math than I am. God said, you've already given $1,500. Yours was the first $1,500 in. You add that to the $7,200 and trust me, for the other $1,000, you are almost there. But I did. God supplied the need. I haven't had a car payment in those three years. And we've done our best. We knew, you know, we're going to have to change cars someday. And so we tried to do our best to to put $100 a month back towards a down payment on another car someday. We haven't been able to do it every month. But over the course of about two and a half years, we had $2,000 in the bank reserved for a down payment. I tell you this morning, this story for the timing... Just prior to the, all this board discussion about our need and how we're going to supply that need, I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, Jerry, you said to let me know, let you know whenever I was changing cars, and I'm changing cars. You still want mine? I said, yeah, dad, I, I do, and I, uh, I've got $2,000 to put down on it. He said, we're going to trade even. I said, Dad, you've got an 86, I've got an 81. He said, "Uh uh-huh, mine's got 90,000 miles on it, you're not getting that much more car. When this came up, when that board member said, I think we all need to find $2,000 somewhere, Mine was supplied by my father. Both of them. 
My heavenly Father and my earthly Father. See the channel? See, He owns everything. And if we just let Him, He can do some exciting things through us. And it makes no difference what the amount is. It could have been 10,000. It could have been 10. The important thing is to trust Him with what He's given to you invested in the lives of other people. You say, Pastor, nothing like that's ever happened to me. In the same measure you give, it'll be measured to you. That's true for anybody. Not just me. It's true for anybody. And the principle is the same. Whether you have a multi-million dollar account or ten cents in the bank, the principle is the same. God says, what have I entrusted with you? And what are you going to do with it? It's all mine, you know. You know, one of the most exciting things, I went through the faith promise cards last week. The two most exciting cards for me were the ones I turned over. The amount, one was $12 a year and one was $26 a year. $24 a year. I turned it over. You know what was on the other side? The name of two teenagers. You know what they were saying through that? God is the owner of everything I have. And if He wants to channel some of what He's given to me into world mission, I just want Him to know He can do it. You see, they're catching the concept of what stewardship is all about. And that's our answer for today is that each of us realize what God has entrusted to us and simply respond. I've alerted the ushers. I've just prepared a little card to do the same thing with the rest of the congregation that we did on the board. And the need is before you. And I've tried to explain it the best that I know how to explain it. And I just want the ushers now to just distribute those cards to you as a congregation and give a card to every family. There's just a place for your name and then a place for you to be a part of this cash offering. I want every teenager to get one. I have a feeling that the teens want to be a part of this just like everybody else. And to say, this is what I want to do to be a part of this commitment for my church. And what we're going to do, we're going to do it together. And no, the answer is not one of us writing out a check for $50,000. That's not the answer. The answer was not with, for me to have lunch with a multimillionaire. That's not the answer. The answer for us is to all do it together. And when you receive your card, I want us just to take a few moments and to pray together and to trust God together. You know, one of the things that I ask, I, I explained this situation to the guy that I had lunch with. He's a pretty good financier. And I said, what do you, what do you think will happen Sunday? He said, I think, I think you'll get everything that you need to get. Just believe the Lord, Jerry. You can trust Him, you know. <laughs> and we can. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, you have shown me this portion of your word clearer, more clearly than I've ever seen it before in my entire life. I've even experienced it before without the understanding of it. And you know the need before this church body today. I want to thank you for our church board, for the faith that they have exhibited, and for also the sacrifice. And now, Lord, as each of us consider our sacrifice, I pray that you would speak to us, guide and direct us, and help us, Lord, to do that which is pleasing, that which would make an investment of what you've entrusted to us for all eternity. We can trust you now for the direction and for the answer. And we do in Jesus' name. Amen.